Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. Wondering what head stands for? What H is for happiness, E for empowerment, and D for development. This is the podcast that will discuss topics from the 40-year-old perspective. This is where we will help to navigate you through this new chapter of your life. I'm your host, Sherry, and my co-host is named Kim. To join this community, push the subscribe button to get all the latest head episodes. And to help our head message grow, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment as well. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Giving Head. H-E-D. Now let's get into it. Welcome to Giving Head, the podcast. I am so excited that this interview came together with Miss Christy Joseph, also known as Miss Thang. Christy was born and raised in Bermuda, and in this episode, she shares with us about how it was to lose both of her parents early on in her life. Her father has been incarcerated since she was two years old, and her mother passed away from cancer when she was eight years old. She takes us on a trip down memory lane and really describes to us how it was to be without parents and how strong her family was and supportive of her to raise her into the person she is today. Along with that, she is a life coach who holds an advanced designation as a girl's self-esteem and character coach. She is a radio personality with over 10 years of experience. And she has successfully created the professional name Miss Thang, which is synonymous for keeping it real. Her selfless act of kindness allowed her to be the recipient of the prestigious Queen's Certificate and Badge of Honor Award from the Queen of England for her active involvement with her community, which includes hosting Christmas drives to provide for needy families, food baskets, and more. Christy was determined at eight years old not to become who they thought she should be, but instead she evolved into who she is destined to be. And that is a phenomenal woman. Sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. Good day and uh, welcome, Miss Christy, Miss Fang, and I'm going to say Joseph at the end because we are a missus right now. So I'm I am. Excited. Welcome to Giving Healthy Podcast. Giving Healthy Podcast is all about giving happiness, empowerment, and development. People get tripped up when they see the name. They're like, what in the entire? But it is, <laughs> it is definitely a play on words. And we believe in for this podcast that we want to provide testimonies and information to our mature audience to help them to reach those pillars and learn to how to maintain that. And I thought, of course, that it would only be right to have, you know, Bermuda's Miss Thang come on here and share some of her happiness, empowerment, development in different areas. So welcome, Christy. Thank you. Excited. We finally made this connection. (laughs) Yes. So give us a little bit about your background, where you was raised, who um, brought you up and some of your family life. Tell us about that. Interesting. Well, I'm from Harlem Heights, Bayless Bay. Okay. (laughs) I'm a big girl. Uh, My mom is named, my mom was, because she's deceased, uh, Patricia Burgess, but everyone knew her as Petty. She went to Barclay Institute, and my dad is named Kingsley Burgess. Okay. So I am the only child of those two together. (laughs) (laughs) I am the only one. And 
I had a interesting upbringing for a child. Um, my mom had leukemia mm-hmm. and okay, let's go back in the homestead. It was my grandmother. She was the matriarch of the family Edna Gibbons. My uncle was there and my mom. And at that time, my dad was in jail and mm-hmm. I was about eight years old, seven and a half, eight years old. And I remember the ambulance coming to the house and taking uh, my uncle to the hospital mm-hmm. for a headache. That's all I remember. And he never came back oh, wow. because he passed. And then six months later, my mother died. Okay. And then six months later, my grandmother died. Wow. And I lost everyone close to me. And my dad was incarcerated. I loved my grandmother so much. So I don't remember her funeral. I pretty much blocked that out. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I knew that my mom was sick. I can remember being at Frances Patton and all of my classmates making posters for her because she was due to come home February. She, I believe she was due to come in for Valentine's Day. Okay. And we were all making posters. And I remember my aunt, Jill, coming to Frances Patton and they caught me out. And my auntie said, you know, come on, we're going to go home and all of that. And running off the hill, like a big girl, run off the hill. And I <laughs> ran through the doors, you know, right, ran right through the door. <laughs> granny, granny, where's mommy? I can't wait to see her. And I remember them taking me inside and telling me that my mom died. Mm. Mm. And how did that information change the course of your childhood experience? Well, one thing I come from a very supportive and great family, um, very strong women. So at that time, when my mom had passed, my grandmother was still for the first, for the last six months, she was still there. So I lived with Granny and um, everything was okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember the pain of it. I don't remember Granny's funeral. Okay. So coming out of losing everyone, my family stepped in. They did what families do. Right. They did it. But the hard part is when you lose everyone, when you lose your immediate family. I'm a daddy's girl. I have been a daddy's girl since I was in my mother's womb. My father and I are the best. We are the best of friends. I mean, listen, I can remember the funeral like it was yesterday. Everyone is there. Um, we're lowering the casket into the ground or the coffin, I should say, into the ground. I remember the cry and I remember holding on to my dad and the prison officers had to take him away. Mm. And I was like, I don't want you to go, daddy. Um, but, you know, eventually he had to go. So I remember that. And at what age were you again? I was eight. Whew. Wow. And then... With everyone passing, um, my Aunt Jill raised me. Aunt Jill and Aunt Eleanor. Aunt Jill was Aunt Eleanor's daughter. And Aunt Eleanor was my grandmother's, of course, the family tree. Aunt Eleanor was my grandmother's daughter. Okay. Right. So it was all family. So, And then Aunt Jill, she decided to have children. Uh-huh. So then I went upstairs to my Aunt Eleanor. So it was still family. But during the course of growing up, I was moved from house to house, Mm. but within family. Right. But you're still moving from house to house. So what happens is you pick up little habits, Mm -hmm. like as you get older, not so much now, but when you're moving from house to house, what happens is 
you pick up a habit of, or yeah, a habit of not being stable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would look like this for those that like a visual. You would wash clothes, you would dry the clothes, but you wouldn't pack the clothes away. You leave them in a bag. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And that's how your life was. Yeah. From eight years old until all I remember is that my aunt, my other aunt stepped in, which mm-hmm. is my mother's sister, Aunt Vicky. And I call her Simon. Mm-hmm. And she had just been married. She had only been married for two weeks. And she said, this is it. I've had enough. Th- that's it. Krista's not moving anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And her and her husband took me in. Mm-hmm. And they raised me along with her daughter you until can't... I was of age. And how did that still shape your view of life at the time? I wouldn't talk, believe it or not. Really? I would not talk. Um, when my mother died, my aunt would send me to everyone to get me to open up. To t- and I refused to talk. I wouldn't talk to any psychiatrist. You would sit there and I'll be like, okay, I don't know what you're waiting to your time for. Let's go. I'm not, I refuse to talk. Mm-hmm. Until one day, she sent me to Sheila Ming's modeling school. Mm-hmm. And it was something about Sheila Ming that she unlocked whatever was in within me. And there this person blossomed. To this day, Mrs. Ming, who is now a Burgess, so her name is Sheila Ming Burgess, she never knew the impact she had on my life mm. until one day she heard this story on the radio. Wow. And do you have, looking back now in hindsight, do you have a label or a thought of what it was that you were going in there, that you were going through that you couldn't truly explain? Looking back. I was angry. I was angry because my mother left me. Yeah. And I was very rude as a child. Apparently, Chris. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so apparently, I was very smart. I was smart, so you know, children are supposed to be seen and not her. But I was quick with my mouth. Okay, very smart. So I thought, as a child, because I'm a child, I thought mom died because I was rude. Mm, wow, and you carried that for a while. I did. I carried that for a while, and it stayed with me. I will put things in the back of my head. And, you know, just keep it going. And I've always worked. If anyone knows me, I've always had two jobs. Mm -hmm. Because I said one day, this is not made to be offensive to anyone, but I said one day, I will work for what I want or need Mm -hmm. because I'm not depending on anyone. And I only say that because it can come across at times when you are young, when you are not the biological child of people that are raising you that I felt as a child that people would tell me no because they could. Mm. So I said, no, you're not going to tell me no. If I want to go to Thailand, I'm going to pay to go to Thailand. So I've always worked. So it instilled a definitely an independence and a drive and a motivation for you despite the start. Yes. Despite the start. So how did your dad filter into all of this? As you said, you're a daddy's girl. So how did he filter into this knowing that he was in prison? At this time, I still I still went to see him. I was there every week. My family um, made it made it a point that every week Christy had to go see her dad. Mm-hmm. Like I said he was serving a ten year sentence at that time, so he had to finish his time. Right. And when he did come out, he was out for a very long time. You know, everyone has challenges. 
it's no secret that my father has struggled with addiction, mm. but more so a functioning addict. But one would know that he was using because he never really displayed any symptoms or he didn't okay. show any signs because he always worked and all of the above. But when it became too much for him to handle, then he would fall prey to, you know, breaking and entry, breaking B and E and different things like that, which would wow. land him back in jail. Okay. So the fact is that my father has been incarcerated since I was two years old and he's incarcerated now. Wow. And he will be home soon. The last incarceration, he says that I am innocent, but I was found guilty. Mm-hmm. He's remained in that state for 14 years. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. How does that even shape relationships for you, period? So, you know, a lot of times you have what they quote unquote, you know, mom and dad, and it shapes your relationship thought process. But here you are, lost your mom and most of the major women in your life at the Mm -hmm. age of eight years old. Your father's been incarcerated since you're two years old. So how does that even shape your thought process for relationships as it even pertains to both uh, genders? Hmm. Very good question. Very good question. (laughs) Because I've always been so independent, I never depended on anyone. Okay. So going to a a Christian high school, I went to Bermuda Institute, you have certain core values that you stand by. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going to high school, I wasn't the average, you know, so like some other girls, you know, they could have been hanging out in in the street and that wasn't the case. It was school, it was church, it was school, it was church. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. I mean, literally. And then when I did meet my first boyfriend, that was after high school. Mm Mm-hmm. Good girl. Yeah. Yeah. After high school. So, (laughs) but relationships, I didn't have many relationships. Mm. I would have relationships or friendships, but I had an, not necessarily an attitude. It wasn't an attitude. It was like, oh, if you want to leave, you can leave. Bye. Right. Right. Yeah. Because at this point, all the major people have left in your life. Mm -hmm. For you, these little relationships didn't really mean a whole lot to you in that standpoint as far as meaning. So it's interesting one. How did you eventually get to meaningful relationship? It seemed that looking back, I should say I did, you know, because if they're listening, they might get offended. I did have meaningful relationships, but it appeared that the individuals or individual that I truly cared about and loved, it just seemed then that everyone I came in contact with would hurt me. Mm-hmm. And then they would leave. You know, you break up. And I got to the point one day that I remember saying to myself, okay, and I remember this clearly. I said, okay, you need to find out who you are and what you want out of life. Because I already knew what I want out of life. But I had to dig deep because in Bermuda, Bermuda is very small. So sometimes, you know, in your 20s, early teen years, in your 20s, you're still trying to find yourself. And even now people would think, oh, if I'm a people pleaser, then I'm going to obtain a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I said to myself, no, 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 no. I have always been a leader. I've always been unique. So I am going to be who I am. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm a leader. I'm not a clickish person. I don't do clicks. 
I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm not going to hang around you because you have money. That's just not who I am. So then I evolved from that into who I was destined to be. Still a work in progress. Of course. Because every day, you know, you fall, you get back up. You fall, you get back up. And I have to admit, even though my dad was incarcerated, he has always been in my life. And I, I encourage people to tell him, listen, your dad might not live with you, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, and what age did you find that moment? If I was in 20, I had to be tw- close, either 19 or 20. That's still pretty young to have that revelation. Yeah. I literally remember, I don't know what happened. I think I remember who my first boyfriend was. <laughs> I think we had an argument or something and I was outside and I said, okay, I need to check myself. Mm-hmm. And I but seriously believe that revelation, of course, happened to you so early because so much had already happened to you. Like, what else could happen to you? I mean, literally, I mean, the main people, everyone, my uncle, my mother, my grandmother, great grandmother and my father. Mm-hmm. I literally say to this day, you can throw anything at me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I've had to carry so much. Well, and this is, again, why you are a perfect testimony for this podcast, because I am sure that you have had to find your happiness to empowerment development throughout different age times in your life. Mm -hmm. But you probably found it a lot earlier than most people because you had to. Exactly. I'm also a believer that you could have also going to the right and involve yourself into addictions. Mm-hmm. And people tend to believe that, you know, substance abuse is the only addiction, but there's several other out there that if you're addicted to it, it's an addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's shopping, gambling, food, all of those kind of things. And it just depends on how much of that addiction, you know, interferes with your regular life or you go on to the other side where you let nobody in, you let nothing happen, you don't want to move forward. So it's interesting that you've happened to find a balance through it all and have taken those seemingly negative things, experiences, and not fallen so deep into it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so talk to us about how you didn't fall so deep. When I say my dad's my best friend, like he is my best friend and my biggest fan. Mm -hmm. He speaks over and into me all the time, even at the age I am now. But Mm -hmm. my family was a strong knit family. Going back to my granny, she was a praying grandmother. Mm. Most grandmothers are. Mm -hmm. So she instilled religion and faith at a very early age Mm -hmm. and taking me to church. So I know the spiritual background of having faith, believing, speaking things into existence, manifestation. So I'm pretty sure it started way back when. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My dad and I had this conversation the other day and he said, you know, other people may have fallen. He said, but you didn't because of your strong background and strong upbringing. Mm. Mm. And that was powerful for him to say. That was powerful for him to say. Wow. He says it all the time because... I'm a creative person, so I'm a type AB personality. <laughs> Definitely type AB, uh, def- in down in the middle. Um, person of excellence. I am my biggest critic. So when everyone else is in, oh, job well done, I nitpick. 
oh, I wasn't sitting up straight enough or my lip gloss wasn't all right or I didn't speak properly. But going back to how I was brought up, my aunt Eleanor was an educator. Mm. My family, I come from educators and people, yeah, educators and doctors and you name it. So they always instill that education is key. You always put your best foot forward. I could remember my, I don't know, my aunt's been, my aunt is, I don't know how long she's been passed now, but when I took my now husband mm-hmm. to Easter dinner, he, he says, now I understand why you are the way that you are. <laughs> because my aunt was very pert. Anyone that knew Eleanor Carey, very dicty, very pert, sit up straight, elbows not on the table. Okay. Right. So once he had dinner, then we went to his parenting. He said, no, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you do have to see the family to see worse. You yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that will always be a joke. Um, <laughs> no, I understand. <laughs> well, you touched on being this shy, introverted person and that you came out through Miss Sheila Ming Burgess and she unlocked something for you. She did. And definitely unlocked for the career that you ended up in. How did you end up in radio? That will always be the most interesting topic ever because from, my family says from two years old, so just say from two to five, Mm -hmm. I always said I wanted to be a lawyer. And as I got older, I said, I want to be a lawyer like Julian Hall. Okay. I'm going to be a lawyer. Like everything was law. Everything was law. So in high school, I worked at Milligan White and Smith. And the funny thing is, is, when the lawyer came out, the lawyer thought that she was meeting someone else. She didn't realize she was meeting a student. Mm-hmm. So she said, are you Christy Burgess? I said, yeah. She says, my God, I thought I was talking to a teacher. You are a student. I said, I am. <laughs> so I worked for Milligan White and Smith um, for day release. And then when I graduated from high school, I worked there as well. But somewhere in between, I finally met Julian Hall. Mm. Julian Hall was walking on Church Street. And I walked up to him. I said, Mr. Hall. And he says, hello, darling. (laughs) And I said, my name is Christy Burgess. I want to be a lawyer just like you. I think you are the absolute greatest. And we formed a friendship. And he became one of my great friends and mentors. Just little things that he would always repeat. Um, you look people in the eye when you speak to them. You, when you shake their hand, you shake it with a firm handshake. You don't waver when you speak. You make sure you know what you're talking about. Do your research. So just little things that he instilled in me even way back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I still have a passion for law. I don't know why I didn't go all the way. It could have been financial. Okay. It could have been financial. But I started listening to the radio. I've always loved music, always. My mother's mother, she was a rumba dancer. Oh. And my, yep, she was a rumba dancer. And my grandfather, he was a calypso singer. Okay. So I've always been surrounded by music and listened to the radio. And I used to bug Keeble then, Keeble the Captain Burgess. He was on Power 95. And I said, I want to come work with you. I want to, you know, so I used to get his coffee and um, answer the phone. So that's where I started. Okay. I was just like, wow, this is it. So I always wanted my own show then. <laughs> it didn't happen right there and then. And I was working for government and it was an ad in the paper that a radio station was opening up. The ad never said who. Right. 
I went to a studio, I did an, a demo and I sent it in and they called me. I auditioned and out of all the people that were there, they, I sat in front of a panel of Bermudians and Americans and the main person that should have said yes, he said no, but <laughs> other people said yes. And actually, no, I have it backwards. But anyway, someone said no and he said yes. And he said, this young woman has something. Watch is something within her. And that's how Miss Thang, well, when it came to radio, came about. Wow. And I literally love radio. I love radio. And I still think about law. Right. I'm a law and order fanatic. <laughs> Anything to do with law, forensics, I am there. But it's something about radio. And, you know, I share the same feeling having my short stint in it and still want to be back in it. Mm-hmm. I still love it. I, when I go back to look at some of the things that I list of goals and different mm-hmm. things, radio had always been on there was radio and to be a plus size model. Okay. So I have dabbled in both of them and um, still love both of them and loved being on the radio. So I get it. I definitely get it. And thoroughly have enjoyed it and still would love to be in it. But, you know, when the timing is right again, it will happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I can understand that and how you get all of that. Talk about all of that great energy and stuff from it. It's a different type of feeling. I was never a morning person. I don't even know how I got on the morning show. I mean, when I was at Hot 107.5, I was there for eight years. So I started out on the morning show with other co-workers. And then I moved to the afternoon. And then I had my own show, which was afternoon into evening. Mm-hmm. So I had the longest slot on radio. Wow. Now, coming over here, I was part-time. And then when they, the company did the rebranding and switching and moving people around... Um, they said, okay, you're going on Power 95 in the morning. I'm so part of me. <laughs> and I said, what? Six o'clock in the morning. So that means, and I'm calculating, I'm saying, okay, six o'clock in the morning, that means I have to be up at four. But it's something I could have a bad, be having a bad morning. And the minute I walk into the studio and I crack the mic, you would never know. I know that feeling. I was on the radio at the same time yeah. and um, having to get up at that time and realizing after I had a Fitbit that I had been napping for three or four years because I was only getting like three, four hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. When you get one, yeah, I'm there. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. So then it's like, okay, you're finding out what is it. And then say, hey, <laughs> you do yeah. get this energy. Talk to me about any trials and tribulations that hindered your happiness and partner development in radio or in your career period? Well, the only thing that I can recall, you know, at any company, you don't own the company. There will be decisions that are made that one may not agree with. So I get that. That's business. But at that time when I was at Hot 107.5, that was the first black and only radio station to this date still is. Mm -hmm. And Hot 107.5 took Bermuda by storm. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally. And here we have myself on radio. And every time you looked, I was featured in the newspaper, whether it was the Bermuda Sun or the Royal Gazette. And I also had my charity at that time. Mm-hmm. So then my father got into trouble 14 years ago, which would have taken you back to 2006. You have, I wouldn't say many, but because I was a public figure mm-hmm. and all of the above, people felt that they could just say anything to me. Mm. 
they felt that they could call the radio station and say, oh, and also you're daddy. And I took it for a while. Right. Until one day. That Somebody got it. They, they got, got it. it. They got Somebody it. got it. Yeah, they did. And um, it wasn't professional. I did it in a professional manner, but I knew at that particular moment, I had to go and regroup because if I didn't, if there would have been problems. It's interesting because I had a conversation with Teo not too long ago and he, mm-hmm. he said, people feel like they earn you when yes. you're in this position yes. and they feel like they can say anything to you. Like, did they forget that this man was still your dad? You know what yeah. I mean? And I think you kindly reminded them, huh? Definitely. I talk a lot. When I say my dad is my biggest fan, he listens to the radio every day. He has his radio on every day. So even during that time when he was waiting for his case to start, he would hear the comments. And and that was hard for him. Yeah. He couldn't protect his daughter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know what? God always gets the glory. Always. Because all your trials and tribulations that come make you stronger. So here we are 14 years later. Yes, my dad's still incarcerated, but I have grown so much. Mm-hmm. I thought people could say anything to me before, but I think now people know and individuals know there's certain things you just don't say. Now, if you, you can ask me anything. I don't allow anyone, including family, to disrespect my father because mm-hmm. my dad and I have that relationship. And what was the outcome of that Letting them know <laughs> what it was. Now, okay. You, you want me to keep it real? Yes. Okay. Someone called the radio station. I'm not going to, I'll leave her name this, but she called into the radio station and it was two phones. So I had answered the second phone because I was doing something and she didn't go on the air. Right. Mm-hmm. And she made a derogatory comment about my father mm-hmm. and I had had enough. So when I went back on air, I, um, Stop the music. And I said, listen and listen very carefully. I have tolerated the disrespect for too long and I'm not doing it anymore. You felt the need to call here and speak ill of my father. And first of all, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you are at work. Why are you listening to the radio anyway? Mm -hmm. Guess what? I'm coming to your job and I'm going to pull you across the counter. Okay. Okay. I think I was probably on the island at this time. <laughs> I never heard this story, Christine. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. God is my witness. I was so angry. You know, I was steaming, as I say. Mm-hmm. And my papa called me. And in his eloquent voice, he said, sit down and don't move. He said, Christy Burgess, if you get up, sit down. And right there and then, I booked a plane ticket and took a two-week vacation. Mm. Because it was necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know when it is necessary until someone like shakes you and says, you need to stop. Exactly. You need to stop. So, wow, that led into a transition. (laughs) That definitely led into a transition. Yeah. That definitely led into a transition. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now that... That happened. And we mm-hmm. moved into a different transition in regards to radio. How are things now? Once that transition happened, what is the thought process now? Well, this is what, and I hope this resonates with many people. Like I said, 2006, the case started. And to this day, in 2020, 14 years later, my dad says he is innocent. Mm-hmm. 
but he was, you know, found guilty. Mm-hmm. I said to my father, when he was found guilty, I looked him, I think I visited him the next day and he was so angry and hurt. And he was just angry. And I had never seen my dad angry. I mean, angry to the point that you couldn't even put it into words. Mm-hmm. So I looked at my father. I said, listen to me and listen to me carefully. You have to let this go. Mm. And you have to forgive because if you don't, this is going to kill you and I need you around. Mm. I said, your daughter needs you. And he was able to work it out. If you were to talk to my dad, they're saying that just because I'm in prison, my mind is not in prison. Yeah. You would never know that he was incarcerated. Okay. You heard me laugh. I mean, he laughs all day. I mean, he's just a beautiful person to be mm. around. And I honor my dad. We have 10 commandments. You know, 10 commandments is a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> For everyone. But I honor, the, honor my mother and father. Mm-hmm. And I was always taught to do that. And no matter what it is, I respect my father. Wow. wow. So here we are in 2020. He's um, a senior citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't look, he looks great. He, he really looks good. His mind is sharp. I told him he should have been a a political guru because mm-hmm. he has so much, he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Bermuda history, American history. He can tell you, he just spits out dates and numbers and just the, the man is, I told him I have to get him in front of a camera. Wow. Well, I can't wait for that moment to happen. And mm-hmm. as much as and highly you speak of your dad, I know you recently got married. Yes. So tell me a little bit about even finding a relationship with, I always believe, of course, your first love is your father. Mm-hmm. is the same, but he's not physically there. So how is it that we found this perfect love for you through also without having the physical example, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, in front of you? Did we have to go through a, quite a few turds to get to the prince? Or... Uh-huh. <laughs> Look, I look, um, what's <laughs> well, your turn first? <laughs> exactly. My first boyfriend were to this day, we're very good friends. He's a gentleman. Um, you know, he, he got married. Um, he's an excellent father. So we still have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. I've met some interesting characters. Let's just say that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And, you know, even when you're not all the people you may meet, you're in a relationship with, but you might have a strong friendship. Right. And even with that, when you get hurt, it's like you have to rebuild yourself all over again. You know, I can remember one friendship. Yeah, I would say it's friendship relationship. You know that friendship relationship. You're not the girlfriend. <laughs> yep, yeah, I you're not the girlfriend. You, you know, you don't have a title, but you have a good relationship slash friendship. See, I love deep. I'm a Taurus. Okay. I have a big heart. When I love, I love deep. That goes across the board, even when it comes to friendship. Right. Friendship, family, I have your back. And I expect, I'm learning now that people don't have the same expectancy that I do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I get hurt very easily to the point that my heart is shattered okay. because someone has done something untoward or whatever. So I've had to rebuild my heart many times. Mm. And it's like when you rebuild yourself and you have to find yourself all over again. I mean, I said, how many times do I have to go through this? Right. Because even if it, were, if it was one or two, the heart was so powerful that it's like, 
you know, days you couldn't get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. I have a smile on my face, but you have this pain in your heart. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. But transitioning to my now husband. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he is a great man. He really is. We are complete opposites. So, and we have, not complete, but we are opposite, but we have very strong personalities. Okay. He's always been a leader and he doesn't waver. He says what he means. He means what he says. And he's a person of excellence. Mm. Now, he has a story as well. Okay. We all have a story, but the person he used to be, mm -hmm. he is no longer. So when you make that shift and you transition, and he's a Christian, you know, people always say when you change, you either have a soft change or a radical change. Mm -hmm. And he is most radical. Okay. You know, he doesn't smoke. He used to smoke. He doesn't smoke immediately, like cut off. He don't need no patches. He doesn't hang out. When I say hang out, like he doesn't smoke and drink. Mm-hmm. You know, so his change for himself was radical. Wow. And when we were dating in the beginning, you know, it was cool. Right. It was cool. I honestly, he would always throw out there, um, one day I'm going to, you know, are you going to be my wife? What are you going to say when I ask you to marry me? I said, yes. But, uh, you know, that was it. I honestly did not know or think. And then he asked me to marry him. Uh, we were at our favorite restaurant in Florida, Margiano's. Yes. Uh, International Drive. <laughs> that is my favorite restaurant. <laughs> and we were sitting there. Actually, it was for his birthday, November 19th. And we were sitting there, you know, eating. I think he said, how much do you love me? And I'm always a joker. In a joker, but in a, you know. So right. I said, oh, I love you more than my favorite rail bottoms that I didn't have. Right. I love you more than my favorite lipstick or something. And he pulled out the ring and he said, will you marry me? For the first time in history, I was silent. Wow. For like 15 minutes. Really? <laughs> what were you thinking? I couldn't even get the words out. So he was waiting and waiting. And obviously, finally, I said yes. And everyone clapped us out. And the funny thing is, we had ordered. I ordered all this food, girl. I didn't eat anything. Yes. I couldn't eat. <laughs> Was it kind of like in the movies, like different things flash before you? Yes. Then yes. he asked you like, oh my gosh, my mom, my dad, yep. this, this happened. All this of that came right back. In our relationship before, like, am I going to do this for life? Like, yeah. I'm not going to just make this impulsive. Wow. I was nervous. I was scared because... You know, the joke is, it's always a joke. I said, and I think I leaned over to him. I said, oh my God, nobody's ever asked to marry me before. <laughs> wow. It was shock because anything that I do, I want to be a person of excellence. So I'm thinking to myself, even like, how am I going to be a wife? Yeah. I want to yeah. be a great wife. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat. <laughs> I can imagine. I can't imagine. Wow. And how has that made you happy, empowered, and developed? Like, how did that? Well, it has definitely, from the time we got engaged to actually getting married, it wasn't right away. And because we wanted the right date. And then finally, we sat a date. And then it's just interesting once again. We sat a date and COVID decides to show up. Oh, God. So the original date was in April, mm -hmm. April 17th. Okay. You know, COVID was among us and um, 
that's when the island went into lockdown. So I am watching television and the premier says, we are going into full lockdown and we have planned an entire wedding. Mm. Yeah, because if it's April, then you was planning from the year before. Anyway, everything was done. Everything. When I say everything was done to the point that the favors, the original favors were um, Ferrero Rocher chocolates. Mm-hmm. They were all in boxes, all of that downstairs. We had to throw all of them out. Oh, gosh. Oh just, yeah, all of it just went to these because they were individually wrapped. They were in the boxes. And Vaughn is very organized, mm-hmm. very organized. I mean, everything is in place. And what is it? You know, everything was done. So here we are we're in lockdown. Um, then we have to go through all the phases. Yes. We had to wait to phase four because I said, listen, I can't have too many people at a wedding. That's not going to work. Hello. Hello. And it wasn't about um, having three, five, 500 people, but you wanted the right people to be there. Yes. Well, when I say right, you wanted, you know, you wanted at least your family. Well, there was, I look at it as so many people that played a major role in your life. And I've had so many, you know, at the wedding, um, because my mom wasn't there, all the women that raised me, they were good. When Bishop Lamb asked, who gives up this woman to this man? They all said in unison, we do. Uh Uh Because it was more than one person. Yeah. It was the women, it was their husbands. I needed all of them to be present. Yes, yes. You asked about how has it shaped me. When things go wrong, I mean, I have faith, mm-hmm. but my faith wavers like everyone else. And I worry and I internalize it. So it shaped me to realize that, take it easy, relax. God has it all under control. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. He literally does because <laughs> that was, our day was perfect. Mm. I mean, COVID and then we had a hurricane. Yes. And the wedding was right after the hurricane in midst of another hurricane coming. Coming, yes. That day was perfect. And, you know, I did state earlier that my dad's incarcerated. And even that, you know, that, all I can say is this. It showed me, once again, God got the glory. I believe that you should follow protocol. Mm -hmm. Being a person of excellence, you strive to be a person of excellence. So therefore you do things in decency and in order. Mm -hmm. So in order to do things in decency and in order, if you want an outcome, you have to follow the process. Right. So I followed the process Mm -hmm. (laughs) from beginning to end with regards to getting my dad to walk me down the aisle. Mm-hmm. I did everything I was supposed to do that I was informed to do by the leaders that told me to do it. Yeah. And the one person that could have done something, they denied my father. The, oh. They denied my father to walk me the, down the aisle. This news came to me maybe a week or two before the wedding. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, I was angry. Yeah. And I had a right to be. So I had to shift that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to shift that, but where God also, where God got the final say at the wedding. I mean, obviously, I'm sp- speaking to my dad. You know, every day, the day of the wedding, he's calling me every so many minutes. Mm-hmm. And the last time we spoke, he said that he was going to call me before I walked on the aisle, and that didn't happen. 
Mm-hmm. So we went to the ceremony. My husband and I, again, you have to get used to saying that. We did a yeah. dress change. <laughs> so I then put on my second dress and he changed his tuxedo to another one. And when we came back out with our wedding party, we were getting ready after all of that, we were getting ready to do our first dance. And someone had my cell phone, right? Mm-hmm. Andre, player, had my cell phone. And he comes running, Christy, Christy, your dad is on the phone. So right there, we took the phone. I put my dad on speaker and someone gave me a microphone and I was able to hook the microphone to my phone and everyone could hear my father. Oh, wow. So he was there. He was there. He was able to say congratulations. He cracked jokes. I mean, I will remember that forever because people recorded. I have a recording. Even when the time comes that he goes home to glory. I will always have that. have that. And I have to say, when I heard that he was, that was denied for you, I was in Bermudian vax. Cause I was just like, the one thing that this girl could, it could be given to her, like yeah. all of these years and really people like, seriously, you couldn't yeah. give her this hour. And notwithstanding, you know, COVID is real and, yeah. and I do understand, but I was told by the individual in power at the time that there is no law against your dad walking you down the aisle. He is not a flight risk. And everything that he has given back to Bermuda, even though he is an inmate, my father fixes the entire jail. Mm. He does all the plumbing. Mm-hmm. He does everything because he's great with his hands and he loves to do it. He has his little toolbox. If right. something is wrong, you know, they will wake him up at three o'clock in the morning to fix a sewage pipe. or And he's done this for 14 years. Not saying that, you know, we know that he's an inmate. Right. We know this. But he's only had one request. And he's human. And let's, you know, do this. So I know that that had to have been difficult, but I love how you've taken it and you've put a spin on it. And you definitely will have something to hold on to for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. talking about life, I know that and winding up that you're a life coach. Yes, I am. Tell us about that, because I love that you are. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. When you are given lemons, you make lemonade. Mm -hmm. When I was at my former radio station, Mm -hmm. I wasn't dismissed, but I was laid off unjustly. Okay. For no, really, really no apparent reason. I mean, you know, I had the most popular show. I bought in revenue. I mean, there wasn't, it really wasn't. And when that happened and how it happened, and we're, to, we're going back for those that are listening, I mean, this has been a while, that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, how it happened, I felt like someone had pulled the rug from underneath me mm-hmm. because I loved what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and how it happened, you know, it was just, it was blatant it, and it was disrespectful. Right. And I was angry mm-hmm. and I had a right to be. Yeah. I was hurt. So going through the whole legality and all of that, you know, I was home reading and I kept seeing all these ads about life coaches and people would always say, I can talk to you about anything. Mm -hmm. And that's been from young. I can tell you anything. I reached out to actually my former coworker and my cousin, Jamal Hartman and Solomon. Solomon, we went to Bermuda Institute together. So I sent both of them to school and I said, what do you guys think? And it's accredited. Mm-hmm. They said, this is an excellent school. So I enrolled into um, Southwestern Institute of the Healing Arts in Arizona mm-hmm. as a transformational life coach. And I just threw everything into 
becoming a life coach. Mm -hmm. And my professor, she says, wow, you are spot on. And every day I did this. I don't know how long the course was, but let's just say I did the course in a shorter period of time. Right. And graduated with 4.0. Wow. And so where are we with your life coaching? Well, actually, I started after that as a life coach. I coach anyone from, I mean, my youngest client could be seven. And the most seasoned client I've had is 60. Mm. Life coaching is interesting because you have to be in a sacred space. And what I mean by that is I have to be grounded and centered. Mm -hmm. I cannot have any confusion in my life. Because I have to focus while I'm coaching. Mm. But a lot of times when people come to you, I had a client that, and you know, when I coach, everything is confidential. Mm -hmm. uh, you sign, you, I have a contract. I sign a confidentiality. I sign a confidential agreement, etc. So their information is sacred with me. But sometimes it's very difficult for people. I've had clients that I've asked to. Every, you have homework or assignment that you should do and they can't do it at that time because it's too difficult for them. Now, me looking at it, I find it easy, right? but it's not easy for them. Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And I've had people pay for and you know just pay off all their sessions. And because of that one assignment, they never came back. Mm. So where are we going with our life coaching um, now? I actually started, once you're a life coach, you can coach any, anyone. Mm -hmm. But if you want to specialize in anything, um, then you go and get another degree. Mm -hmm. so now I am I've going back to another professor and a school to sign up for two additional, a dual enrollment specialty. Mm. So that will encompass self-confidence and I want to say body concept. That's not the right terminology, but it's basically how you see yourself. Okay. 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 Yeah. Oh, awesome. And so we'll definitely make sure that we put your details with your bio and everything so that everybody can, of course, make contact with you if hey. need be. Hey. And so in leaving, what would be your final happiness, empowerment, and development? Well, as I say on the radio, I live by it. Be good to yourself. Mm -hmm. Do not allow anyone to invalidate your self-worth and love the essence of who you are. Mm. I say that every day when I close my shoe, you have to believe that. One, believe it in yourself. You have to be so secure within yourself that nothing is going to shake you. Yeah. yeah. Because things will happen. You have to be firm to believe in yourself. Do not allow anyone to invalidate your self-worth. You have to know your self-worth. You have to know who you are because people will come along just to test you because mm -hmm. they're jealous. Mm -hmm. They're angry. They haven't been able to do what you are doing or they want to do what you're doing, but they don't know how to get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then love the essence of who you are. You have to love everything about you from the top of your hair to the bottom of your feet. If you have crow's feet, if you have cellulite, if the scale goes up, if your jeans don't fit, you have to love everything about yourself. So that's where positive affirmations come in. I mean, even though I'm a life coach and I'm on the radio, I still need my dad at times to say to me, you are amazing. 
Mm. I am so proud of you. But my dad tells me that it's like everything lights up. Sometimes I need to be affirmed. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to pour inside yourself to give to others as well. If I can leave that with everyone, that would be it. And you know what? You can do anything you want to do or be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think where we are now in 2020, 2020 has been an interesting year for many, for the entire world. Yeah. And now is the time, I think, of transformation and alignment. So many people refocusing, reevaluating who they are. Mm-hmm. And now is the time for us and individuals alike to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Whatever it is that we want to do, stop procrastinating. If you want to lose weight, go for it. You want to go back and do a second degree, go for it. If you don't have the money, then guess what? That means you're going to have to save money or you're going to have to get a second job. And that's going to take sacrifice. Everyone wants everything. Some things are going to require sacrifice. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. I greatly appreciate it. I'm glad we got this done. And I am so excited to see it go out and everyone enjoy listening and hearing all about you. I'm glad we were able to connect. It's been exciting and fun, you know, to take me back to my childhood. Wow. I haven't had to do that for a very long time. (laughs) Thank you, Doll. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on Giving Head, the podcast. And make sure you check us out on Instagram and Facebook for more information on this head episode. And as always, subscribe to the show to catch every new head episode and leave us a review so we can continue to bring you that good head. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.